Welcome in. Episode 3, Signals from the Deep. We are honored and thrilled and very grateful to be joined by someone who, ever since coming to Seattle, has made an incredible impact with her work on the broadcasts, her work in writing, her work around the fans. Prior to hockey, she was a strategic planning consultant. Moving into hockey, she blogged for three different hockey websites. She then moved to Fox Sports Ohio, doing writing and podcast work. And then out of the Columbus Blue Jackets to be the official, the official team reporter. Then to the Athletic, where she wrote for Ohio State University men's and women's hockey, as well as the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then venturing on out west to Seattle to join the Seattle Kraken. She went from writing to a television analyst last year to between the benches to calling games with the great Johnny Forslund in the booth last year and even to organizing the Seattle Kraken Hockey Analytics Conference. She's a fan favorite. She is a pun star. Allison Lucan, thank you so much for joining me today. Wow, that's the most dramatic and delightful reading of my life history I've ever heard. Thank you, Nick. I'm honored. Well, you gave me all the info, and I just tried to make it sound. <laughs> this is what happened between uh, commercial breaks <laughs> that's yesterday. Exactly right. For people that don't know, we have a lot of fun. That's true. On the shows, behind the scenes, and I think that really translates on the screen. But we have a lot of fun in, in those commercial breaks. So yes. seriously, thank you a lot for coming on. No, it's. Uh, I mean, seriously, I wasn't kidding. You had very esteemed company on this show. I'm kind of shocked that the uh, we've fallen this yeah. far this yeah. fast. Well, I'm excited that uh, <laughs> now we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have some fun and uh, and have a great time. So again, thank you uh, for coming on. I would love to start by getting your story in terms of how you got into hockey. What struck your passion for it early on? Because we all have a story. We all have kind of that moment or two that got us into the game and developed a passion. Uh, so what got you into hockey and you know to the level that you're at now as far as enjoying it? Yeah, well, it's uh, I've told the story a couple times, but I was, um, ironically, when I think back to it, in high school, back just when cars were introduced to the world, uh, I was actually voted, my, my, <laughs> my senior superlative was biggest sports fan, and I actually kept stats for the men's basketball team, uh, played lacrosse, so I was always into sports, grew up in Columbus, Ohio, where we all followed football because that's what you did. Mm -hmm. There was no hockey to follow. So uh, was into sports, uh, left Ohio, went away for school, got a degree in leadership studies. And like most people at that time, if you didn't know what you wanted to be when you grew up, you became a consultant. <laughs> so uh, that's what I did for many years and uh, found hockey as I was living all over the country, most notably in Washington, D.C. when I lived there, really started following the Caps and then moved back to Columbus, started following the Blue Jackets. And I am the stereotype. I was like, hey, let's start a blog. Mm -hmm. So started blogging, got fortunate enough to be invited to write at uh, Fox Sports Ohio. Eventually got fortunate enough when all the Fox stations pivoted from writing and went to video, the pivot to video, the famous pivot to video. The team invited me to be a contributor. Eventually I filled in as the writer for some time. And all during that time, there was a lot of discourse about what a non-player, non-male could write about the game. Mm -hmm between that and my constant curiosity to understand why is what led me to really start to dig into the analytics side of things. So I started to go there, that became my shtick. I was fortunate enough then, uh, many thanks to Rob Mixer, who got me in with Columbus. 
And then tremendous thanks to Aaron Portsline who got me in with The Athletic and just loved educating fans and digging into the game and telling stories and looking at things a different way, looking at not just breakdowns, but systems and patterns and what really matters and what really doesn't and the narrative and the leadership side of things and the team building side of things. From there, uh, COVID came. Many of us mm -hmm. stopped having jobs right. and I thought I was done with sports. And uh, thankfully to Bob Condor and John Bradford at Root Sports was lucky enough to come here. They were foolish enough to put me on TV and <laughs> there we go. That's the abridged version. Yeah. Well, I'm actually curious because the TV thing kind of came out of nowhere. Is that safe to say or were you just kind of were, were, were thrown into it and, and it's been unbelievable. So what was that transition like for you? all of a sudden from not doing a lot of TV work to being a TV star now? Well, on TV, yeah. let's drop yeah. the star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think it was, it's funny. I tease Bob and John about this all the time because when I came out to Seattle for my interview, um, Bob had said, hey, just prepare. Like we're gonna do a screen test with you. And I legitimately thought he meant like many teams in many sports, they have video content on their website. You know, you just like, yeah. I interviewed so-and-so and this and that. I was like, oh, this is no problem. I've done public speaking as a consultant for many, many years. So I go through my traditional interview process and then Bob says, well, now we're gonna go to your screen test. I'm like, what do you mean we're gonna go to my screen test? Like I literally did not understand that I was going to a TV station. Right. Um, and John Bradford just kept trying to test me, kept trying to test me and coached me through and huge kudos to, and you know this, our root crew, mm -hmm. the support crew we have from people who help us look presentable on TV, <laughs> um, to our audio engineers, to our directors, to the individuals running the cameras for us, to our producers, our directors, they are so, so good. And everyone was so helpful that even when I made a mistake, I got feedback of how to be better. And I just am very appreciative that I do, People will say I do things differently, I sound differently, I talk about the game a little differently, and I'm just really appreciative that in this market in particular, that's welcomed and seemingly uh, enjoyed, yeah. I hope, still. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And you bring up the name Bob Condor. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what he means to you. He is Mr. Everything around here. When he, he walks into a room, everyone kind of like, there's Bob, you know, like he's just this incredible figure. Um, what has he meant to you in your career? Yeah, he's he is... Our story is is hilarious, we think, um, mm -hmm. just because it took us a while to connect and it took us a while to find a path through where I could be part of the organization. But he is, first and foremost, when I think about anyone, even outside work, he is one of the nicest, most kindest, caring humans I've ever met. And I feel fortunate to have him as a friend. I think he's just, if you have the opportunity to get to know Bob Condor, you have had a good life. Mm -hmm. um, but he's such a nurturing mentor and he's so smart and I really appreciate his perspective on how to tell stories. He is renowned across the world of sport and writing, not just for Kraken fans who may not know that. Google him, read his work. Um, just, just a very important, positive, nurturing presence, I think, for the Kraken and for honestly, wherever he is at as a human. Yeah, your transition last year from Ohio to Seattle. What was that like uh, coming all this way, thousands of miles west of the Midwest, which is something we both share in common, yep. me having come from Chicago this year. Uh, what was that like for you, culture-wise, living-wise, people-wise? What's What was that transition? Well, some people have heard this, and um, my husband and I, bless his soul, um, kind of feel this was meant to be because mm -hmm. we have, uh, my husband has a credit to him, another, I don't know why these tremendous people put up with me. I have no idea if there's <laughs> a 
patience of saints. There's a common saints. theme. There's, patience there's of not saints. much to put up with. So patience right. of saints. Um, my husband has this tremendous friend network that he's had since college. And uh, a couple of those friends actually moved out here to Seattle years and years and years ago, 10 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. And we had visited them out here a couple times and actually teased around the idea of moving here 10 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. So we loved it. We knew we loved the area. We knew we loved the vibe. And so to come out here was a tremendous opportunity. We knew it was a fit. We just wanted to make sure that I could do this crazy new job that I was being asked to do. So um, no, for us, it's been fantastic. And we do live in Belltown. We love it there. We're very urban people. And I just I just think Seattle's fantastic. Mm, I know some of your hobbies outside of work involve- Oh, here we go. The outdoors and, yes. and, 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 and very fitness related. Yes. Anything in particular here that you've really enjoyed seeing or being outdoors, visiting certain things, or you know, maybe experiencing things on the outdoor side of it that maybe you weren't able to prior in your life? Yeah, I, I, it's actually coming, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know how busy our schedule yeah. is during the season, so yeah. it's hard to, but I, we walk everywhere downtown and we you know, take in the parks and uh, do all that kind of thing. We've been able to kayak you know, out by the gas works and do a lot of cool things like that. This summer, we have a lot more plans yeah. when we have some time. We've been to the wineries, we're big on that, <laughs> um, but I am part of a backpacking group and I have conned my backpacking group to do our trip our annual trip out here in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, so I'm looking forward to that. Good luck. Yeah. That'll be that'll be amazing. A little bit earlier, you brought up a couple of the people that have helped you along the way. Um, is there anybody else that comes to mind and when you look back in your career uh, or maybe even when you were younger, some encouragement you got to want you want to help you follow your dreams and say, you know what? This person doesn't think I can do it. I think I can do it, so then I'm going to do it. Is there anybody in particular or maybe a couple more people that you look back on and you're like, you know what, they either gave me a little bit of uh, uh, inspiration to con to continue to kind of chase what I want to do? Yeah, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, I would mention again Rob Mixer, mm -hmm. Aaron Portsline, Bob Condor. I actually have a running list of people that I thank mentally and emotionally on like a <laughs> weekly basis, but I think I have to shout out uh, Megan Chaka, when COVID came, um, she's always been a huge support for women in sport in general. And she was huge. We had a hockey night uh, on the internet s series that we were doing, um, Hannock Hockey Analytics Night in mm -hmm. Canada. And we did it all virtual and we kept bringing on topics and she helped keep me present. She helped keep me relevant. She's been huge. Trying, I mean, there's so many people. Mm -hmm. Tom Reed, who I worked with, with Aaron Portsline, huge, huge presence. I give massive shout out to my too many men co-hosts and best hype squad shana goldman <clears throat> and sarah sivian there's just there's so many everyone i've worked with um even people who haven't believed in me have been part of the story mm -hmm. that's awesome shifting a little bit more towards the game of hockey now um in your career how they kind of mold together so well how have you seen the game as a whole evolve over your lifetime where you've been involved the game involved with the game for a while where have you kind of seen the game evolve most maybe from an analytics side maybe from uh the, the playing side uh is there anything that comes to mind when you kind of look at the game and go okay i watched the game 10 years ago what's the biggest difference now yeah i think um our sport is probably the slowest in terms of accepting this whole analytics wave or idea, if you will. And so from that perspective, I see the fan bases across the sport 
and, and listen, I want to say this very clear. I say this all the time. If you don't care about analytics, if you if your favorite way to take in hockey is to go to a game and have a drink and maybe a hot dog or a slice of pizza, you're doing awesome. Like you don't have to be into analytics. No one does. The sport will still be great without it. Um, but I think we have now provided space for fans who are interested in that to in a fan forum way, discuss systems, discuss strategies. I don't know that we did that publicly as much before. And I think on the ice, we're seeing what I'm excited about. Um, we're seeing more active defense. We talk about this all the time on the show. You know, a, it, 10 years ago, a defender was stay at home, physical, shut down attack, and that was your job. And barely ever cross the red line, let alone the blue line. And I think now we're seeing this idea of rovers, which is what also excites me of moving towards potentially this idea of positionless hockey. We see this coming up in things like five forward power plays. Um, so I think positionless hockey, uh, more active defense. I think where we need to go, we're starting to go because some of these voices from a position perspective are gaining positions in media is I don't think we still understand goaltending enough. Mm -hmm. And so I think that continuing to expand it's been too easy to say goalies are voodoo or we don't understand. Right. And that's because of the voices that we're talking had never played the position. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to start understanding that more. And I think, you know, again, if we look at this increase in offense, I do love as defense has evolved, in my opinion, and hockey still needs to be a physical game. Mm -hmm. Don't get it twisted. But I think as defense has evolved, it's allowed this space for the offense to grow. We're seeing all these great scoring increases because I think we're seeing, you know, players like Connor McDavid, players like Austin Matthews who are pushing the boundaries of yeah. what they can do mm -hmm. because they are actually being given the space to do it and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's actually a good thing. Yeah. And you talk about the dynamic of offense from the defenseman and the two guys that come to mind for me, uh, at least for the Kraken, who kind of embody that is the top pairing defenseman of Vince Dunn and Adam Larson where Dunner, I mean, not only does he lead the team in points, but... Mm -hmm. I've said it consistently this year where he doesn't sacrifice the defensive side to create a little bit of offense, knowing that if there's a time to be able to jump in the play, he's going to do it, and he knows that Adam Larson's going to be back. And sometimes we've seen Larson jump in, but what has been that pairing's biggest strength, you think, this year to not just be one of the top pairings in the league, but to do what those guys are doing individually? Yeah, I think you hit on it when you mentioned, you know, that that collaboration, if you will. I think that this team and this coaching staff has just done the work to find literally one of the perfect combinations in terms of skill set. Sometimes you'll see, you know, two active attackers on the defensive side, or you'll see this is our shutdown pair. I think this was really brilliant to say, let Vince Dunn, who knows offense is the strength and the forefront of his game, play with a very defensively responsible, but not only defensively responsible, Adam Larson. Let's have a veteran like Adam Larson play with a young, talented player and let those lessons happen. I mean, we see this, those two hang out all the time. Mm -hmm. Adam Larson has been such a mentor and a leader to him. And I, I think that Vince Dunn's talent needed the sharpening and the shaping that came with the leadership of Adam Larson. And then the chemistry of what they actually do on the ice is what allows each to excel yeah. in what they're doing. And we've seen this, you know, you see it in forward lines too. We talk about Jordan Eberle and Jared McCann. When two players just click, that synergy allows them to be so effective, read each other perfectly, know when, which one's going to jump, the other's going to stay back. They're just 
totally in sync. Are we still talking players? Or are we talking our relationship oh, at Root Sports? Nick. I mean, just you should tell them about the drum. <laughs> we were between, we were rehearsing the other day, yeah. and we were, who started? We were, we were, you were tapping on the desk, some really nice uh, uh, song, and then yes. I just kind of joined in, and I went a completely different direction, but you followed me perfectly. We, we synced and like ended at the same time. The perfect, crazy. the perfect way. The people. This is the news. The people. This need. is exactly what they yeah. want, and I and I did want to finish up too on 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 Dunn and Larson uh, because. You were here last year. You saw the team the whole year. I wasn't. Is there a bigger difference in their games in particular? Um, not to say that those guys had bad years last year at all, but just for them to take such a jump. Now, I know you could say this for a lot of the players on the team, goaltending, everybody, but or maybe even Dunn in particular, because to be leading your team in points as a defenseman like that, that not only comes with a big payday, but that's kind of a wow factor. So maybe in his game in particular, is there anything that kind of stands out from last year to this year? Yeah, I think, again, I think it's that he can be more aggressive offensively because he has, and again, who he was paired with last year wasn't ineffective, but he has a really effective partner who can cover for him when he jumps, I think. And it is true. This group was just trying to figure each other out last year and then deadline comes and the whole defense changes again. So I think there needed to be time. The great Kate Shefty tweeted out, I think the other day that yesterday or what it was this week was the one year anniversary of the creation of the Dunn and Larson <laughs> pair. Yeah. And it, it's been that way since. But uh, I also think, you know, I am not taking anything away from Vince Dunn's point totals. They do lead the team. That's incredible. I love that. But it also, that also speaks to the offensive depth on the forward side, right. that there isn't just one forward because the points are so distributed, they're even distributed to a defender right. who can be right up there at the top as well. And you speak about chemistry and having that camaraderie around the dressing room, but that obviously also spurs and spills into the front office. Spurs and spills. And well, those That's are, the episode th title. Those are, hey, here we go. No, don't. Get no. that in there, I'm taking Grant. notes. Come on, Grant, get in here. There you go. <laughs> there was an early emphasis when building the Seattle Kraken an early emphasis on the analytical side. The Kraken bring in Alexandra Mandricki. Uh, you know her pretty well. Uh, what's her biggest strength to this organization and some of the things that she's done so far in her tenure here? Yeah, I mean, I can't say enough about Alex. I actually, shockingly, a little bit was into the analytics space in hockey publicly before she was. So mm -hmm. I've been able to watch this tremendous journey of just an individual who already had these skills and this knowledge and this talent just given the form for them to shine. I don't sit in the front office every day, so I can't <laughs> truly speak, but I think that what I respect about Alex when I'm able to watch her operate is first and foremost, her communication skill when she knows the, the key to any kind of information, be it analytical information, be it eye test information, be it cap information, is not to speak in that language to people who don't understand that language. And I think she has a real talent to say, I use all this different kind of information to learn these lessons, and then I offer these lessons to the people that need to understand these lessons. Mm -hmm. And I think that that coupled with, you know, in a way, I think something that I have that a lot of people don't have, she came from a, a more corporate, a non-hockey world before. And I think the skill set that you come from operating successfully in any organization, any business, this is a business, mm -hmm. um, helps you be effective when you have to work with a bunch of different personalities and a bunch of different teams. I like, I, I understand the narrative that this is a very analytics heavy um, 
front office. But I think we need to just realize that I, the better positioning is that this is a front office that makes sure that if there is there is no stone unturned mm-hmm. when it comes to any kind of information that can help that group make the very best decisions. And I think analytics is a piece of that puzzle. And I love, um, you know, we had Ron Francis speak on a panel at our hockey analytics conference earlier this year. I think it's a very balanced approach to say, there's this other kind of information, we're gonna bring in the best people and have it inform what our eyes see, mm-hmm. what the scores tell us, what mm-hmm. point totals tell us, what performance testing tells us, what cap management tells us, what scouting tells us. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's folded in yeah. so that the best decisions can be made every time. So for those people who just think that, Allison, you just look at the numbers and that's all you say and these different terms and things when the reality is, is that you know the game and you can do the eye test just as well as anything else. How do you think that the eye test and the analytical numbers mesh together because they are very much a lot of nights telling the same story mm-hmm. and supporting one another. So what what do you think? Well, not even what would you say to those people, but you know, people who maybe only think it's just numbers, it's just this and it's just that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and uh, we had, a, I don't know if we're gonna get to this. We had a question about when do you choose to respond on Twitter? Mm-hmm. And I think that the numbers for me do a really good job of grounding the emotion that comes even as analysts of mm-hmm. watching the game. We can see something and say, oh my gosh, that happens all the time. Right. And if we, in my opinion, if we want to be our best selves when we're debating or presenting what we know, it has to be based on fact. And so mm-hmm. the analytics can ground us. We can say, well, actually it doesn't happen all the time. It's just happened the past two games. And so it feels like it's happened right. all the time. So I think numbers ground us, analytics ground us. Um, I think that for fans who are into that way of thinking, it can provide an entryway to understand different things or different things to look for that maybe we didn't catch with our eyes. And I think that when there are gaps, you're right, we, talk, we joke about this all the time. We're like, the eye test agrees with the numbers, the numbers <laughs> agree with the eye test. That's how it should be. Right. But when there's a gap, when there's a difference, that's the interesting part. Because the reality is, and JT and I, JT Brown and I did a art, couple articles on this last year, the reality is the numbers can't capture everything that goes into playing this game. They can't capture what's in the head. They can't capture what's in the heart. They can't capture even where a player's eyes are looking. There's so much that's not there. So I think when they disagree, we have to say first, oh, is this telling me something I didn't realize? Or let's allow for space that the numbers have a lot of work to do to catch up with what we know is going on there. Both situations can happen. And what do you think it says about the analytical impact on the NHL right now where a lot of it has to translate into reporting on it and making sure that you are putting maybe the more detailed numbers or in-depth numbers or terms into layman's terms at times because we're I think we're on the cusp of really taking a leap you would know better than I would but on the cusp of really taking a leap to get more people to understand and to respect and to really get an idea as far as what these numbers are trying to tell us so I know hockey comparatively to other sports analytically is 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 behind um, but at the current stage right now where do you think it's at and um, when you're reporting on it and using these different terms do you find yourself at times maybe trying to think, okay, I got to use a different term. I got to describe it a certain way. So that way the majority of, of people who aren't overly familiar with it 
are able to understand. Yeah, absolutely, without question. I think the biggest disservice that a lot of communi- communities can do, but in this specific instance, the analytics community did, was they came up with these terms that have no meaning whatsoever. And I think that hurts us. And I, I, if I ever say Corsi or Fenwick on a broadcast, you can come over and hit me um, because that's not relevant. You must, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. You must translate what's happening to common sense language. That's, mm-hmm. that's the right way to communicate. It's not for, to make you work to understand my language. It's for me to use your language so that you understand. That being said, I think that hockey is behind because it has come to this sport later than the other major sports. And it's also one of the most difficult because it is not a stop-start sport Mm -hmm. like baseball. And it is a sport that is so interdependent on five, sometimes six, sometimes all 10, 12 skaters that are on the ice. So it's very difficult to pull out that goal that Nick just scored. How much credit, if you will, goes to Nick doing this versus Vince Dunn doing that versus the goaltender making the save five seconds ago. And sometimes we don't want to do that. We just want to have fun and enjoy the game. So I think we're challenged there. And I think to your first point of, is something coming? This is where I'm really excited, but nervous. So there's a lot of tracking data present. It's here. It's going to take teams a long time. They're getting literally just data dumps of tens of thousands of data points. Mm -hmm. It's not coming in this really pretty the pass is this and the player did that. There's so much work that's gonna have to be done to make that data usable to front offices. Mm -hmm. So I think those evolutions are going to be coming in a few years internally. We may never see them unless a team is willing to share them. There's no guarantee that that data is ever gonna be public, which is a shame Mm -hmm. in my opinion, um, because that will stall the development of our understanding of the game and even the discovery of new talent. That's where so many of these front office hires have come from, people in the public who found out new things and teams hired them and became better. Similarly, the data that they are making available to the public right now sometimes makes my skin crawl (laughs) because what we're doing when we share, these are not fully formed, I'm not going to say they're bad, but we share the face-off probabilities, for example, or we share speed of skater or miles skated. Those are all very interesting, but what do they mean? Mm -hmm. And we have to be conscious in ourselves when we look at something, oh, that's interesting versus that means something. Because a lot of this kind of data, some of it we do know means something, and some of it we don't know if it means anything. And if we put out data publicly that's geared more towards a betting space, we're gonna go towards that motivator, not towards understanding the game. So I think that it's a very exciting time for hockey, but the ways in which data will impact us are different depending on if you're in a front office or outside a front office and what we get to see with it. When you say data dumps and a lot of information coming, how is that, to your knowledge, uh, like taking into consideration the other different data companies, analytical companies, like do they just send information to the teams? I'm, I'm curious on if you know like that, what that process is, how are they getting that information? Is it in the player tracking chips in their shoulder pads and they coop it up and then just 
here you go, like at the McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> Hi, I'd like a day to dump, please. Like how how does that What time does, does McDonald's close, Nick? <laughs> Nick always is worried. Do they have McDonald's uh, breakfast all day? Yes, yes they yes, do. Yes, please. But yes, he please. has to, can't close before Nick leaves they the can't, studio. They can't, no, because if they do, then I go home hungry. And then he has to order Pizza Hut. <laughs> it's not a bad backup, I no, will say. The it's best. good. Well, hot take of the day. That's a different debate. Hot take of the day. Pizza Hut is the best uh, national food. No. Pizza chain no that's just my grant is disagreeing grant but 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 back to (laughs) the the question at hand aside from the people want to hear all about my food intake yes which doesn't sound very healthy from the two examples that we've used so far i did have a chicken salad the other day by the way from applebee's Uh, and was excellent (laughs) but where is that data coming from and how are teams taking it in because it seems very grandiose it seems like Mm -hmm. there's a ton and how to sort through it yeah so Again, I am not in a front office, so I'm going to share what mm-hmm. I know, and this is not directly tied to this organization. Mm-hmm. I want to be very clear about that. Um, first and foremost, there has been data collected for years that is collected optically. So there is either cameras in an arena or digital reading of broadcasts that are being aired that is brilliantly crafted that can identify based on the numbers on a player what's happening and then extrapolate zone entries, um, screens, rebounds. So that's data that's existed for a while. And that data is captured and produced by companies like SportLogic, by Stathletes, where they are collecting it and then they are providing it to teams in a packaged way for a fee. So they are logging on and they're seeing, you could log on and say, show me Vince Dunn's zone entries for the last month. And that is pre-populated and packaged for me. Now, the blessing and the curse of that is because the I get the data faster because those companies have already figured out how to extrapolate from what the camera captures. That's a zone entry. That's great. I get it faster. But the problem is if I don't necessarily understand exactly how they define a zone entry, I'm saying zone entry, but it's not what they mean. Mm-hmm. They might mean zone entry plus a play. Right. Or they might mean zone entry that's controlled only. So you have to really work to understand the data you're getting. That's one type of data that has been present and is still present and being used by, if not all, the vast majority of NHL clubs today and a lot of the AHL clubs and it's in college and things like that. The tracking data is new and it is coming from, there are chips on the players. If you've seen that little patch that's on the back shoulder, there's a chip there and there's a chip in the puck. They will not put right now chips on sticks because it's too expensive because how many sticks break all the time. So that data, my understanding is, can come in two ways. First, it can be just literally like a massive data file of data points, which is what I was mentioning. Teams have to figure out how how to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. And then there are other companies like SMT who are coming in and working to provide some of that packaging. And even some of the stuff we see in Climate Pledge or on some of the broadcasts where you're seeing everything from speeds and face-off probability to some do different things with markings on the ice and things like that, that could be something from like an AWS or an SMT where they're they're doing that same kind of stuff those other companies do, but they're doing with the actual tracking data. Mm -hmm. The limits of the tracking data, I just mentioned, we can't see where the stick is. All we know is player position. If anyone watched the uh, Disney Plus game with the, what was the farm, what was it called? I don't watch. Uh, Big City Green, I think is Big what it was Big City Green. Yeah. It was tremendous. Amazing. It was so fun. But 
like you notice like it looked like the old Atari games yeah. because that game was based on tracking chips and the puck. Mm -hmm. So all you, that was the only bit we could extrapolate from movement. And that's great, but that's where we're at. We can't understand if the player protected the puck by turning away from the defender. We can't understand which way they were looking. There's so many things we still can't understand from the tracking data. So that's where the data is coming from. Different types of data, depending on how you want to work with it, you can get support from an outside company or not. All of that to be said, it's funny to me that everyone gets so protective of the data because the differentiator is the questions we ask of the data. That's good. Everyone's going to have the same data. The differentiator is going to be, we want to know which defenders do this the best or which forwards are most adept at this thing. The questions we ask of the data, it's always still going to come back to the eye test and the mind. How we, what we think is important in a player and in the game is the question we ask of the data. And then we use that data to make our decisions. So the data is never going to be like, pick this player. Yeah. So it all comes back to, regardless of where this data comes from and how hard or easy it is to work with, it's, the differentiator is going to be the questions and the minds that are thinking about what to ask of the data that we have. Where does this intrigue come from? This intrigue? That, this, 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 I, I love, and obviously everyone- Nick is so everyone's, bored. Nick. You, I, I'm actually <laughs> the opposite of bored because the one thing that when people watch you on television or interact with you on Twitter or read your work, how passionate you are, which is why I asked, where does this, where does this come, this love and this passion of blending the analytics side and the eye test side of your passion of hockey? Is it when you were younger, were you very curious? I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm genuinely intrigued because you talk about it so passionately. And as I said, anybody that listens to you or watches or reads your work, it's, it's pretty obvious each and every time, which is amazing how passionate you are about it. Well, I mean, I do. I think it goes back to this idea that I always want to know the why. Mm -hmm. That's very, I partially drove our producer insane the other day, asking him a ton of <laughs> non-relevant questions during a post-game show. Poor, poor Scotty Scott. Malone. We love Scott Malone. Yeah. Um, but I want to know why. And again, it goes back to my position, which is if you're going to talk about something or advocate for something or say you know something, do the work to understand it the best you can. And I'll give you two examples. And it's funny because uh, your dad has actually commented on this too. Mm -hmm. Two fundamental things drove me to start going into analytics. Well, three. The first was when I first started writing about hockey, I was told I couldn't write about hockey. I could only write about community events. So I had to find something that was irrefutable when I wrote about it to not have the, the girl doesn't know the game mm -hmm. situation. Then two things happened in the game. Number one, I was at a hockey game and I was watching and I saw a shot, a, I saw a puck go towards the goaltender. I saw the goaltender have to react. And I saw that that was an indication of the offense that the attacking team was creating. That's what, I, I mean, I didn't think it that ridiculously boring, but I was like, <laughs> things are happening, that means something. Right. And I looked up at the shot clock and I waited and I waited and I waited and it wasn't a shot because the goaltender didn't interact with it and it didn't go in the net. So I was like, this is ridiculous. Like the shot count, is not indicating what we're seeing, both from a goaltender perspective and what a team is generating. And it was right about that time that analytics were coming to hockey and that's where I started to find shot attempts, unblocked shot attempts, things like that. So that was one fundamental thing that led me to understanding all of this and using it because it's a richer, more accurate representation of what's happening, of what our eyes tell us matters. Mm -hmm. The second thing that happened, and this is so trivial now, uh, Cam Atkinson was on the Blue Jackets and he didn't have as many points as I can't remember who the other player was. 
And everyone's like, well, Cam Atkinson isn't as good as this other player. And I looked at the team sheets and Cam Atkinson had been injured that year. And I said, okay, well, true. Cam Atkinson doesn't have as many points as that player. But if I go points per game or points per minute of ice time, he's actually producing more than that other player. This is a concept we often, we call it rating. Rating by 60 minutes per 60 or per game is even a thing. That I was like, this is the proper way to evaluate a player. If you play 10 games and get 10 points and I play 100 games and get 100 points, we've produced at the same rate. But if all I see is 10 versus 100, an unfair judgment is made. Mm -hmm. So those were two kind of seminal moments that led me into really digging into this stuff more. 45, roughly 45% of the workforce of the Seattle Kraken is female. Okay. That's a good stat, Nick. Where'd you get that? I'm serious. I know the right people. Okay. (laughs) Where do you see the current state of women's involvement in the game of hockey at the National Hockey League level and other levels as well, the American Hockey League, ECHL, uh, college, junior where do you see the uh, current state of women's involvement? Uh, and we see it throughout the Kraken organization. You doing what you do. Uh, Samantha Holloway as co-chair and co-owner. Um, we see it in the front office. We see it in the incredible staff that we have at the rink. We see it down in Coachella Valley with Jess Campbell as assistant coach. Where do you see it at and where do you see it going? That's a good question. Um, I think that I I struggle because I am so very proud of what the Kraken organization all the way down to Coachella is doing. I think that we are challenging norms and I think that's important. And I think at the Kraken, it is very valuable. This is part of the reason why I, in my opinion, we have support across the league from fans is they may, they may have a favorite team on the ice, but there's a lot of fans who don't see themselves in this game who see themselves in the Seattle Kraken organization. And even when I followed other sports, if I walked into an arena, if I walked into a court, if I walked into a stadium, the only place I saw women was running water bottles or cheerleading. That's the only place I saw women for so long. And you, it's so much harder to strive to be something if you can't see it. Because if you can't see it, you don't think it's possible. And you feel like you're not allowed. And that is a narrative for not just women, but a lot of underrepresented groups in a lot of sports. So I think that what the Kraken are doing is very important and very significant. That being said, even the women in our organization, outside of our organization, there are still very real things that happen that make you feel like women aren't fully welcome in this sport yet. And I think we have a long way to go. And I think, you know, there are not... There's so much that has to be understood because I want to work with people who want to be better about it. We're all dealing with stuff that we've been taught and seen and learned for a long time. I don't think there's, there are some people out there actively trying to keep women and other minorities out of sport, but a lot of people just like, that's just what they always knew and they didn't think about it. And I think that those people will work with those people all day long, but there is still so much work to be done in this game to say, it, it, you have to be intentional about it because if we're used to seeing a man or a white person or what have you in a certain role, it's hard. I have had to do this work in myself. It's hard to say, am I making sure that the people I'm looking for to fill this role look like the world around me? Because the world around me is not all white. <laughs> so we have to be intentional to say, I'm going to go and make sure I'm 
making sure that other communities hear about this opportunity and I bring them in. And when I bring them in, I'm gonna work on that culture that's around them as much as I can, and no one can fix everything, to make sure that they are certainly held accountable and certainly held to a performance standard. Um, This is not courtesy. (laughs) The people still have to do the job well, but that they are in an environment that supports them giving their best as well. Right, and certainly seems like, you know, the Kraken have been at the forefront of that, which has just been pretty incredible. Um, and before we get to some amazing fan questions, here we go. And thank you everybody for uh, for sending those in. And Grant's going to do his best to uh, to send those over our way. To to put a bow on this topic for young girls or young women that might be listening or watch the games and see you as a role model of theirs. What's some advice that you would give them if they want to be the next house in Lucan? <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, that's, I get asked this question a lot and it's hard because I'm going to quote the great Jeff Merrick, which is in this, in sport, I would say not even in this sport. Um, if you're looking to get into it, open up your dictionary, find the page that says fair and rip it out. Mm -hmm. Um, there are still a lot of inequities in a lot of businesses, to be very honest. I think that if you're a woman wanting to get into this, there are other women in this game. I'll, I'll speak about hockey specifically. And it, it's funny, we all kind of collect to each other when we see each other like, oh, another woman, hey, like we're here. For a long time, I was the only, if not one of two women in locker rooms. So there will be women ready and willing to help you reach out, ask for advice, um, try and put in the work, try and do things to make yourself relevant. I think the world we live in now is has made that more easy than ever. Even if you're doing TikTok videos or YouTube videos or a blog or a podcast, the right people are always watching and listening. And I think that you do have to be willing to take some lumps. I mean, there's going to be unfair stuff that happens no matter what level you're at. And I also, I was having this conversation with some young women a couple weeks ago. I also, part of the reason I'm outspoken the way I am is because I'm at a place now where I feel confident enough that I can take the risks to speak out but I want women to know that sometimes if you feel like you can't speak out because it's important or you're not ready to speak out, there are others of us who will fight for you and sometimes it's it's okay, but just make sure you're always safe. Was there a role model of yours that you looked up to or an inspiration that kind of when you got to where you are? Um, I mean, I, re- I remember fangirling over Helene Elliott mm-hmm. um, in, the, in a um, the locker room at an all-star game. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, again, I mentioned Megan Chaka. She has been um, immeasurably impactful in, in my personal and professional life. But I also, someone that has always been really great with me is AJ Malesko. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember meeting her at a game, a national game she was covering. And I was, at, I was covering that game from a writing perspective. And we just, I, I get her. I love her. I have such admiration for how she does her job. And again, for her to, as I'm saying to the women who hopefully come after me, for her to take the time to invest in me as she does means the world. Yeah. Outstanding. I think we, at this point, need to hear what the great Kraken Nation has to ask, Uh, Allison. We've got a few questions. Okay. Uh, We're going to start with Rick Judd, who has a two-parter for you. Oh. Uh, first question he has is, uh, what is one stat that doesn't yet exist that you would want to invent? That, that I want to invent? Yeah. Mm. Or that you'd like to see, you know, tracked. So here's the interesting thing, back to that whole way too long dialogue I gave, is that we have a lot of data 
that we can get, but we can only get from manually tracking. So we have to wait for someone to manually track it. So I would love for us to have real-time information on rebounds, both frequency and location. Um, I would love to have real-time data publicly free available on transition to play, zone entries and exits, controlled, uncontrolled, failed, and location. Um, and what I would really love to see, what I've wanted to see, and someone did it. It was two playoffs ago. Shana and I wrote about it. Someone one time used the location data in a broadcast to show the formation that was going on. And I, we actually did it in a pregame show a couple weeks ago, a couple days ago. Time is a flat circle. Um, but I think our next step has to be understanding strategies. And so that's what I'd if we could come to a place where we're like, this is a, you know, this is a box, this is a wedge plus one penalty kill, this is an umbrella power play, what have you, I think that would be really cool. How about stat-wise, how about like earned versus unearned plus minus? Oh, listen, this is the thing. Like right? we, there's a lot of times we see this all the time, like, well, I mean, sure, they get a point there, but come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Like, and, and sometimes yeah. someone's a critical part of the play, yeah. and they don't show up on the statue. Or or you're in the middle of a change, yeah, and a guy jumps on the ice, and he gets a minus for just stepping onto the ice. this is why shot attempts are better, Nick, because there's yeah. more of them, so it helps. We've, had, we've talked about always this. always able to bring me back down to earth. Thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, Rick's second part of his question, uh, which I think is a little more fun here. How do you decide which tweets to quote tweet for a correction, a correction or a burn? Ooh. <laughs> burn. So um, first and foremost, I want to say that sometimes it's just impossible to see every tweet, particularly in a game. So I'm not some I'm not purposely ignoring or purposely not talking to. Sometimes it just Nick knows, like we're watching the game, we're doing our jobs, we're preparing for an intermission or a post game, yeah. and you just can't take it all in. And my priority has to be the game and our work mm -hmm. on the show. But uh, I mentioned this already. I think sometimes when I see, you know, there's funny, you see people like, the team never, I'm not talking about Kraken, this is another team. The team never wins on Tuesdays. Okay, people. Tuesdays has nothing to do <laughs> with how the team is actually going to perform. Mm -hmm. So when I start to see people, in my opinion, falling down a hole that's going to lead them to thinking something that isn't the best way to understand the game, that's a lot. Let, response goals is a perfect thing. Five on six play is a perfect thing. Um, I get it. I get the emotion of it. But let's, if you if you want, and I be a fan, rage about what you said the way about. You want. That's yeah. right. There is no way wrong, no wrong way to fan. But I just want to make sure people understand what the actual what is actually happening is there such a thing as too superstitious though i mean this is a very superstitious sport it is and i think that's fun right but again like be superstitious like, like when i wear this hat we know some people we joke in the studio like everyone wear these shoes or never wear that yeah. again like we we tease about Lucky that socks that's right but uh just you know like it doesn't really matter <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I give you a ton of credit though because during the game I like I have to stay so locked into the game where like the only thing I'm checking my phone for is like to make sure my mom didn't text me <laughs> or something. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. because for those that might not know when we're doing the show, it's like we we don't have any off time being in the studio because while That's the play right. while the play's going on, we're trying to figure out what the heck we're going to talk about, what packages we're going to build and what highlights we're going to show in the intermission. And then come the intermission, we're doing it. We're working. Mm -hmm. So it's like I give you a lot of credit because sometimes you're, you're tweeting things out during the game and staying multitasking attentive to what's going on on the ice. Like I, I, 
I need to work on my multitasking skills. It's or good to know you're not purposefully ignoring me. <laughs> exactly. That's right. I would. But, I would never. Yeah, but to the chirp point, um, first of all, I will. If I see someone say something annoying, I will first legitimately go look at that person's account. If this is a person with like two followers and like three tweets, like I'm not going to give you any attention. If there are people who are purposely trying to be a troll or shade me into something, forget it. I'm not going to take your bait. Um, I do sometimes quote tweet people because back to the conversation about women, I think it's important for people to see some of the stuff that many um, minority groups deal with. So I'll do that. And sometimes like the one I know I quoted, we wrote the story on the fish tradition and someone said, you're a two-year-old team, you can't have a tradition or something. And I just wrote back like, thanks Carl or whatever his name was. <laughs> like, because that's, again, there's no wrong way to fan. And I don't, I first, my Twitter rule is I will never say anything I would on Twitter, I wouldn't say to your face. Mm -hmm. And I also think that we need to have a basic level of respect for each other. And there's absolutely no reason to crap on a fan base for what is a really fun, creative, and innovative post-game tradition. And guess what? Traditions start day one. And it's continued. Shout out to Nicole Shabazz for her tremendous work on that. Um, so when I see people, in my opinion, trying to dunk on others, there's a line. I don't know if I can define it, but I, I have no tolerance. ELE, come on. Everybody love everybody now. Oh, yeah. that's, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's get to the next question here. Uh, Josh Geddes, he is also on Twitter. Uh, in your opinion, who are two players uh, that the Kraken shouldn't hesitate to re-sign this offseason? Mm. Well, I mean, the beauty of what Ron Francis and his team have done is because I was checking this before and I'll check this again, is there are very few unrestricted free agents. So there aren't players, there aren't a lot of players that this team is in a crunch to have to worry about losing unless they feel that they're not a part of the plan going forward. I think Vince Dunn is the obvious one. Um, we see how valuable he is and to have him be a part of this organization from the start, I think is awesome. And I'm going to go completely off the board All right. and I'm going to say the second player is one that's currently not in the organization and I don't know who it is, but it's going to be another savvy off season move mm. by Ron and his team. Very nice. How about I like that? that? I love it. I like that. And without, Dunner's been playing. He's probably going to get a nice bump in pay. Uh, well deserved. That's how it works. Yep. All right, we've got uh, one last question here from Twitter. Uh, this is from uh, Shady Lady Cakes. Uh, she didn't have a real name on there, so we'll just go back. That Twitter could be her real name. It, it could, could be. be. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. It's a great name. Um, her question is uh, favorite arena to visit, and why is it nationwide? And uh, f this is coming from another woman in sports uh, from Ohio. So. Shout out to my women in sports all over the world and especially in Ohio. Um, I, Nationwide is great. It's really withstood the test of time. If you really consider how old that building is in years, it's beautifully kept up. And Tom Reed wrote a tremendous story on that. It's on The Athletic if you Google that about how they keep that building up and keep it to the, the other buildings that are younger feel older to me compared to that building. But my favorite building, let's see, you know what? I do really like the new Little Caesars Arena mm -hmm. because what I and what I like about it, much like I mean, I, this is aside from Climate Pledge, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, Climate Pledge is the top, best, top of the line. And I've had many people from other teams say that to me, so that's not just my opinion. The standard, the standard. Yep. Um, what I really like that a lot of sports are doing is when they build their new arenas, they go around and they look at other arenas and they take a little bit from each one. And what I love about Detroit is I, you can feel that. You can feel that they took the sight lines from Montreal. You can feel 
other elements they've taken. And I, I think that arena is really thoughtful. And for the work that we do, there's a secondary consideration, which is, can you get around it? Can you find stuff? What's the support for people like us? And their crew there is amazing, always great to work with. And they have arguably one of the best press meals in the league. <laughs> That's what we mean. Next question. Yeah. What, what, where are the best, the best food in your opinion? Detroit is, yeah. a, is up there. Yeah. Chicago's up there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Cause I, there's, I've been to all but one NHL mm-hmm. arena for a game. So yeah. uh, th- I'll take those two. Yeah. If, uh, if you could make one improvement to nationwide arena, since you've spent so much time there, what would it be? That the cannon's not so loud. <laughs> no, you, okay. Here's what's funny. I've told this to like I actually don't hear the cannon really anymore because oh, I was wow. there for so many years. Oh, like okay. it d- doesn't even register in in my brain. Yeah. Um, what would I make? I mean, there it's a great arena. It, it's nice. It has an attached practice rink, which is another thing that Detroit has, which is really nice as well. Um, Tim, Timmy's connected. Um, you, you know what? I'm actually going to abstain because I have not been in that building as a fan in so long mm-hmm. that I probably shouldn't say anything because well, it wouldn't be fair. I will say though, back to the cannon, yeah. it, it, it freaks me out. They, How many uh, times have you been in Nationwide A Arena couple times, okay. Allison, and okay. it scared me out of my seat. Okay. So, uh, when the away broadcasters are doing their open, the, stage, the, the lovely stage manager has this old sign, very old sign because it's been used a lot and it just says on it, cannon in big bold letters. And so the stage manager will hold it up as the broadcasters are doing their open to prepare them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of different people that I've talked to, they see it and then they still jump oh, and yeah. get scared. So it's, but hey, I know it's their tradition and all credit to them, but we used to in the, scary. we used to in the press box, there used to be a, a member of the media that was up there that would record visiting media's <laughs> reaction. To, and the best reaction still, the irony is Johnny Gaudreau's first all-star game was in Columbus and he jumped when the cannon went off and wow. like it went viral. And so it's hilarious that he's now wow. in Columbus. Cause yeah. Amazing. Allison Lucan, Nick Olchek. Thank you so much for coming on. It was, a, it was a pleasure. You taught me a lot. You taught us a lot. And uh, I know uh, all of us are going to uh, appreciate this podcast. So seriously, thank you very well, much for coming on. Well, I am dead serious. It's tough acts to follow with the first two episodes. You're doing a great <laughs> job and I'm very honored that you would have me on. Thank you. Happy to do it. You can catch Allison and I hey. and Ross Fletcher and Tom Glasgow on Root Sports. So anytime there's a cracking game that is not national, please feel free to tune in. We also want to give a shout out to our great friend, Mikey B, Mike Benton. He is Mr. Kraken Media and he works for the Kraken Audio Network. It's more than just the official radio home of the Kraken. They're podcasting game day previews, get to know you chats with some of your very favorite players guests from around the hockey world and anything you missed from last game. So if they want it, if you want it, they got it. It's Everett Fisiu. It's Dave Tomlinson and it's Mikey B, Mike Benton. They're all a part of it. So subscribe on the iHeartRadio app. They've also got that podcast cracking this morning. Allison, thanks again for coming on and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. You too, Nick. I'll see you tomorrow. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) Signals from the Deep is the official podcast of the Seattle Kraken. Hosted by Nick Olchek and produced by me, Grant Beery. Have a question for Nick? Leave a voicemail on the Signals from the Deep hotline at 206-279-7810 or send an email to signals at seattlekraken.com. Your question could be featured on an upcoming episode.